You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Today I want to talk about a bunch of scripture and things pertaining to the Lord's will. Sort of a looming banner I think sometimes we have over the Christian life that I think we talk about it a lot. I think we think about this a lot. So I want to visit some scriptures on that and kind of just chat this out with you guys. Before I do, I just want to make you guys aware of a couple things relating to the podcast. For now, I mentioned this back at the beginning of the season when we started season two here back in January. And for now, the Lord has kind of directed me to do this in sort of two seasons per year, which means I will be taking a little bit of a recording break for June and July, which... Honestly, guys, it's kind of hard for me to do, to take the break. I just really enjoy getting to do this, getting to talk with you guys. I know you're not in here, but yet I do hear from you guys and I see you around sometimes and we talk about it. It just makes my heart smile. So I really enjoy doing this, but I do see the wisdom in being able to take a break. It allows me to work on some of the Bible studies that we prepare at Athey Women, as well as just committing some extra time for study and that kind of stuff. So I know that it's a definite where I should be, but I just, I don't know, I miss it. So, but that is my plan that in June and July, I'm going to take a little bit of a break on that. And, you know, plus mom life. I think you guys have heard me talk about on here, but I've got a dear boy graduating in June this year. And so as one of the pastors at Athey reminded me to allow myself some emotional buffer. I think he is right on about that. This is no joke in this process, that's for sure. So anyway, that's what's going on. But I mentioned all of that, guys, just to remind you guys to subscribe to the podcast, because when we take breaks, you can kind of get out of the rhythm of things. And certainly you can go back and listen to stuff that we did last season, which is really good. Or if there's some that you've missed this time, it's great to do that. But you might not catch the memo when we come back. So if you subscribe, it's just going to pop back in. You're going to get a little alert that the podcast is back on whenever that comes back. I'm not sure if it's going to be August or September, but it's going to be in there somewhere. So that's why I mentioned all of that. And just to give you guys a little heads up that I won't have new episodes for a few weeks in the summer, but we will be back. So let's get to this today. The Lord's will. Man, it's a big one, right? How do we know what the Lord's will is? Or maybe we should back up for just a second. Why do you suppose this is even such a common thing that as Christians we meditate on and we kind of just almost have angst over sometimes, man, what is the Lord's will for me in this? And we spend a lot of time thinking and praying about those things. And I think that's a good thing. But initially, I wonder if when we say, why do we think about this so much? I mean, it would seem pretty easy at first, right? We want to make the right choice. Why do we care about making the right choice? Well, you know, all wisdom is God's wisdom. So that's where it's going to come from. That's where we're going to ask for wisdom. He is the source of it. But we really spend a lot of time thinking about why, what is it we should choose? And in the midst of trying to figure out like what the right choice is, if I can just drill down on that for just a second and maybe make all of us just a smidge uncomfortable, I want to throw something out there for you. But Sometimes I think that when we're trying to figure out the mystery of God's will for us and we want to get the right answer thing, then we think everything's just going to be rosy and beautiful. 
You know, everything's going to work out if we get what the right answer is. You know, if we figure out what the Lord's will is, like it's a fill in the blank thing, like it's a math problem and we figure the right answer out, then everything's just going to work out. Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We love that verse. Well, hang on a second to that because I want to come back to that cuz context is really important there. So, do we ask because we just want to get it right so that everything works out the way we just envisioned it would, that everything will be easier somehow? Or do we desire what God's will is because we desire the thing that will most be glorifying to the Lord. Weighted question there, right? Isaiah 43, 7 reminds us, it tells us that we are created for his glory. That's why we're here. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is our purpose? What what is my purpose? What should I be doing? And Isaiah 43 tells us right there, our whole reason for being is to glorify the Lord. Ecclesiastes adds to this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, that's where Solomon sums up all of his musings that he's given there in Ecclesiastes. And at the end of it, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. And then here's the bottom line. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So there you go. We've got, what is our purpose here? Our purpose is, according to Isaiah, we are created for his glory. That's why we're here. And Ecclesiastes fills in some blanks of saying, We are to fear God and keep his commandments. That's how we glorify the Lord. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's our whole job. So I wanted to start off with this as just sort of some perspective. Your purpose is not success. It's not to lose 10 pounds. It's not to have the perfect job or the perfect kids or the perfect house. Those perfect things I just said, none of that exists anyway. Our only purpose really is to glorify the Lord. So Great. That sounds like a really in the rafters thing. How does that really help us to see what the Lord's will is for a practical situation that's right in front of you? You know, whether I should go to this college or whether I should take this job or that one or sell my house or buy my house, whatever that decision is right there. I've just said, well, your purpose is to glorify the Lord. And you're thinking, well, how does that help me? But we need to start with that overall understanding of our purpose. So let's start there. Okay, so our purpose is to glorify the Lord. But let's dig into some of the specifics because lots of ways we could go with this, guys. And I always, whenever I start an episode plan, I have kind of this grand plan of how exhaustive, you know, I want to cover something. And and then I do realize that first, none of y'all have that kind of time. And second, I'm not an expert. I am a Bible student just like you, hopefully growing in my knowledge and understanding of God and his word. And volumes and volumes and volumes, truly, guys, have been written on this topic, I have no doubt. But just because we can't come to the end of a 40-minute podcast with a perfect summation of a mind-blowing thing like the will of God should not mean that we don't look to his word and ask for wisdom on this just like James 1 tells us. So that's the goal. We are to ask the Lord for wisdom. And it says he will do what? He gives it abundantly. So that's my aim. By the way, I would also mention, as because I did say there's, you know, obviously been tons and tons of books and resources available on this. But I wanted to point you out to the little one because this is one that's just not overwhelming. But there is a small little book that Wayne Grudem did called How to Know God's Will. It was just a great little resource that I found. It's small. 
I don't even know how many pages, but I'm talking like it had to be 50, 75 pages. I mean, it's really, really brief, but it has a ton of scripture in it. And that's kind of the usually the way I measure if a book is worth its salt is on how much it's actually referencing scripture as its source, particularly on something like this. So really good resource. I'll put that in the notes as well. So you can look back up that if you want it. So high level on this topic. But one of the questions that I'm hoping to kind of peek in your mind as is, do we overcomplicate this idea of God's will? I mentioned that passage in Ecclesiastes that says to fear God and keep his commandments, that this is the whole duty of man. So I think we can take that to mean that if we're doing those things, we will be in alignment with God's will. But what does that mean? Well, we've talked about the fear of the Lord previously in other episodes and other studies. I've mentioned this and we've talked about the word fear specifically. We've mentioned that one. And I've mentioned that the word fear, you know, it's not always how we picture fear, but there's also this connotation of a reverence for God within that. And that is true. But I wanted to point out just another layer because something that the Grudem book highlighted that I just wanted to make note of is While the reverence piece is absolutely true in how our relation to God is and our reverence for scripture and all of that, it actually is not particularly, doesn't usually fit with the passages about wisdom nearly as well. And I find that kind of interesting that it's not necessarily referring to the reverence side when it's saying fear the Lord, when it's discussing wisdom passages. But this kind of makes sense to me. As a kid, I was pretty much I mean, a major rule follower. Yeah, to an annoying level. I'm sure that my sister did not necessarily appreciate this particular element of my personality. The worst thing I could have heard my parents say, and especially my dad, would have been, Amy, I'm disappointed in you. Disappoint, that word, soul-crushing, truly soul-crushing. I just did not want to disappoint my dad. I remember actually one time, this is how ridiculous I got, but I remember one time in high school, I got pulled over. I think it was because I was in a neighborhood and I think I rolled through a stop sign or something. I don't think I came to a complete stop. So anyway, I get pulled over and I'm talking to the police officer and he's, you know, going through the normal drill. And I'm just terrified, guys. I'm just terrified. I'd, I'd never been pulled over. This was not good. And I didn't get a ticket. He was very kind. I probably did cry. I'm ashamed to say, but I probably did pull that female trick right there. Not because I was trying to be tricky, but I was truly probably dying. I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And I get pulled over, don't get a ticket. Everybody's fine. I'm fine. You know, and there was no major situation, but I go home and it was kind of a rule with my parents. I was allowed to, I don't remember what the curfew was. I'm not even totally sure that I had one, but I, the rule was that you had to come and wake up mom and dad when you got home. So they knew you're home and you knew, they knew you were safe. Well, that particular time I'd been doing that for a while. And so they were kind of like, yeah, just come tell us you're awake and then, you know, we'll catch up with you in the morning. So that was a drill. I was supposed to come in the room. Okay, mom and dad, I'm here. I'm fine. And then go. While I came in, I told them I was there and I couldn't stop. They were in a dead sleep, guys, totally a dead sleep. And I just started crying like, I'm so sorry. I got pulled over. And, you know, I just started going to this whole story. My parents are barely awake, you know, and they're kind of sort of looking at me with one eye and going, yeah, it's okay, Amy. It's okay. Go to bed. 
It was not a big deal, probably right. But I just desperately wanted to please my parents, you know, and that's why the disappointing them idea was just the worst that could possibly happen. Now, did I really think that my parents were, you know, going to lock me in my room or yell at me or even just be really angry at me? Not really. I mean, I think I knew that I, I just knew that about my parents. That wasn't how they were. They were not unfair or unjust parents in any way. Now, sure, depending on what happened on this case, it wasn't a big deal, but there could have been some normal parental consequences, but I'd live, guys. It wasn't as terrifying as I made it to be, but that, that's where this whole fear comes in a little bit. There was kind of this fear to do what it was right to please them. I wanted to please my parents, and I think this is very similar with our Heavenly Father in some ways. We should have a right and appropriate fear of discipline, really. We should fear discipline. If we choose to walk in willful disobedience to God and his word, then we should have a healthy amount of fear in that. But do we fear final judgment? And see, that's where the thing is. See, that's where the people take the fear piece too far when it comes to this, because that's where it's a big fat no on the fear scale. We have confidence that if we have confessed Jesus as Lord, we believe that he died and rose again, we are saved and we have no fear. Of judgment. But yes, it's okay to have a healthy fear of displeasing God, or as Ephesians 4.30 calls it, grieving the Holy Spirit. That's okay. We want to please the Lord. And I think that's that context of what this fear of the Lord is. When we are asking the Lord for his will in something, we are seeking wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, among several other passages, but I love this one. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's right where it all starts. So I think it's appropriate for us to start this conversation in that context because we need to understand first what should our attitude be towards the Lord. But the other thing that Ecclesiastes said that was the whole duty of man was he said to keep his commandments. And that's where studying the word regularly is going to be your lifeline when those moments and those decision points come up in your life. This one's just so huge because sometimes when a decision is coming up that in the moment, maybe you're just tempted to go bust out the Bible not really read in a while, but better late than ever, right? You might think. And so you you grab the Bible and you just let it kind of fall open to a spot and close your eyes and put your finger down and go, okay, what does this verse say? What should I do, Lord? That's not exactly what we're talking about when we're saying seek the word for wisdom. And you're probably far more in danger just of doing something where you're pulling something majorly out of context. So that's not what we're talking about, about seeking the word and seeking the Lord for his will in your life pertaining to a situation or a decision that you have. Being in the word regularly is so big because I think it exercises that wisdom and understanding muscles that we need to continually be working on. Things that we're striving for, we need to be working that muscle to be understanding and discerning what the Lord is telling us in his word. The purpose of studying the word If you've been listening to the Devoted Podcast for long, you guys know this, but it is to know God. I know I say that often, but sometimes Christians really get this mixed up and they think that the Bible is actually about us. It's, you know, like some kind of self-help book that's just going to help us through life. It's just not about us. Does the Bible help us? Does it direct us? It totally does, but not through the perspective of it being about us. It is a book about the Lord 
and God's redemptive plan for his people. So you have to keep that in perspective and not just use it as a self-help book of some kind. But Ecclesiastes said, fear God and know his commandments. Well, it's really tough to keep his commandments if you don't know them. So we have to be in the word. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said it was in it's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And Jesus is responding to them when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says a key line here, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love how Jesus just boils this down for us. You know, we know they would have known at that time that they had hundreds of laws that they were keeping in the Old Testament scriptures and in the Levitical law. And he asks them, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus just boils it right down. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. Our pastor at Athey, he often says, perhaps the easiest way, and I'm paraphrasing, but I've heard him say this often, but that the easiest way to know what God's will is, is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love people, and then do whatever you want. And it sounds odd, but actually, if you think about this, if you are checking all of those boxes, if the action that you're about to take about a decision, if you are loving God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, and you're loving people in that decision, in the effects of it, your motivations, everything pertaining to that decision, do whatever you want. It's going to check all the boxes for what the Lord's will is. And so this is where my question of do we make this you know, maybe more complicated than it should be. This idea of how do we know what the Lord's will for my life is? Are we making it too complicated? I want to talk through a couple specific passages where scripture says this is the will of God, because that line, that phrase is there. And it's funny that we keep looking for answers when it is so explicit. But I understand, you know, we're still desiring the application of these verses. But still, I think it's pretty amazing that there are some things that the Lord says, this is the will of God. And then he fills in the blank. One of those is in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, for this is the will of God. Okay, there it is. So what is it? What is the will of God? Next line, your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Then down verse seven of chapter four says, God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So this is interesting to me, for this is the will of God. It says your sanctification. So big word, sanctification. What is it? It's God's will that we be sanctified. So we should probably know what this is. Now, by definition, this is in the New Testament when refers to this, it's talking about just being set apart as a result of Christ's holiness, of who we are being related and being justified through him. So trying not to lose you in too many words, but just think sanctification. It's just the process of gradual purification from sin and progressive spiritual growth that really should mark a believer. Like the things that you should be able to see as you continue your walk with the Lord, that you are progressively maturing in Christ and maturing in holiness and you are 
sanctifying, you're being purified from some of the sins that maybe tied you up before, but you're growing and you're moving in that direction that's towards holiness. Unless this really long word makes you feel like it's just a theology term and doesn't have anything practical tucked in, oh, wait for it. There's a lot of practical there. Because did you see after it said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, it says we are set apart to be holy and that is the will of God. But First Thessalonians gets really specific on a particular issue. And the issue that it's talking about here is sexual immorality. This is interesting. And I, you can't glance over this, especially as we're talking about this being something as it pertains to the will of God. But you may or may not be surprised how often this comes up in church. And I'm certainly not meaning to shame anyone if you have wondered this. But I will very clearly and explicitly tell you that God's word is saying It is not God's will for you to live with your boyfriend or fiance before you're married. It just isn't. Just as much as it's not God's will for a married woman to commit adultery or be involved in any sexual sin. I bring up the living together thing first because for some reason that's it's super common. It's really common even in church, in the Christian church. It's kind of shocking how much churches at large have just kind of accepted that one and said, oh, okay, that one's just not that bad. But that's just not biblical. We like to justify that one. And I think sometimes it's like, well, you know, it's not adultery. It's not pornography. It's not same-sex attraction. It's not those sexual sins as if those sexual sins are worse somehow. Well, they aren't. It also seems to be the one where we see justification of, you know, it just makes more sense financially. I've heard this and I do, again, I feel for those situations, I get it, but they'll say it just makes more sense for us, you know, financially or, you know, whatever the circumstance is that at the end of the day, it's just a justification to try to make that sin seem okay. And this isn't mean. Again, our pastor says sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad and it will hurt you and it will mess you up. It's actually a really loving thing that the Lord is doing here. I used to help our church with weddings for years and years. And I really have seen the sweet blessing of obedience in this. When couples come and they meet with our pastors and they want to get married, but maybe they're living together. And the pastors walk them through what the scriptures say about that. And we have often seen couples that say that take God's word seriously. And even though it's not practical and even though it probably costs them something financially even and it majorly is an inconvenience, they choose to obey and they and separate before they're married. And and there just always will be blessing and obedience. But let's assume that the question that you are facing right now or the decision you're trying to discern what the Lord's will is, is not something that the Bible explicitly calls out as sin. So I'm not talking about those things, because that's kind of the first thing you have to distinguish. You know, when we, if we go back to that definition of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving other people, if you are doing a sin, if the decision that you're making is a sin against God, well, that's not loving God. And it's actually, it's not loving people either, if it's in that example of what I was talking about, you know, living with someone before you're married. That's a sin against another person too. So not talking about those. Maybe it's more of a daily thing. You know, should we move here? Should I take this job? Should I go to this college? You know, this is where I think there really is so much freedom in the Lord's will. Because we go right back to that first question. Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind? Does that decision that you're about to make, does it help you love God more? Does it help you love others more? 
If it does, then do what you want. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, maybe you think, well, what if I pick the wrong job? What if I pick the wrong college? Is there a more right or a less wrong choice, right? I mean, isn't it funny how we really, I mean, we try to make things hard on ourselves, I think, sometimes. But I've done this, too. I was at a conference recently, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit because I can't remember exactly how the phrase went, but I was listening to Jen Wilkins speak, and she said, God can sanctify you in a bad decision as much as he can in a good decision. Now, make sure we understand this correctly. Clearly, not encourage you to make a choice that is willfully in disobedience of God's word, like as part of that being your sanctifying, and that that would just be okay. That's not what we're talking about. But sanctification, remember, it's that process of gradual purification from sin and progressive spiritual growth. It is God's will that we be sanctified, like 1 Thessalonians 4 said, that we grow in our knowledge of God and grow spiritually and be purified from sin. The Lord can do that sometimes either way in your life, whether you went to this college over here or that college over here, or buying this house in this city versus this house over here. There's a lot of those types of things where I sometimes wonder if the question would be, love God, love people, and do what you want. Now, what if we chose the house that ends up having a gazillion maintenance issues? Can the Lord sanctify you through that process? Absolutely. What are our attitudes as we go through those hardships and all the things that can absolutely be part of a sanctification that the Lord has for us in that? So perhaps the question should first be, how does fill in the blank glorify the Lord and benefit others? Maybe we should start with that. The last scripture, and you know, man, I am just scratching the surface on this one. There are so, so many things that we could talk about. But one other one where the Lord specifically says, this is the will of God, and then tells us what the will of God is. And it's in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Be thankful. Sometimes that can be kind of hard, you know, if you're facing a really dark time, or maybe the decisions that are weighing on you seem so heavy. But I just love the simplicity of this instruction to just be thankful. And we really do have so much to be thankful for. It's kind of the answer even for your worst day. There's all just something to be thankful for. I've thought about this quite a bit. I said earlier that I attended a conference and I heard a bunch of speakers speak and One of the things that several of them touched on, and I hope I'm not misunderstood here, but I often heard people talk about this last year, and you know, we've all heard the words that we're so sick of. We've heard unprecedented, we've heard pivot, we're just like, ugh, we're so done with 2020 and all of the things that it was. But some other things, and you know, for many, it was a really difficult time on lots of layers. Maybe it was in a jobless situation, or maybe it was in a home situation that was really rough. There was definitely hardship in this last year. We could all in different seasons of our life, though, say that, oh, yep, we've had hardship. Maybe for you, 2020 wasn't really that hardship year. Maybe that was 2016. Maybe that was, you know, 10 years ago. I don't know. But we go through seasons of hardship. And while I do think overall, there were definitely folks that went through difficult times, we hear a lot in Christian circles that they talk about just how much suffering people endured in this last year. And they use the word even suffering. And 
again, I'm not trying to belittle anyone's hardship or anything like that. And certainly everybody's experience is, I think, is clearly different in this. But I do wonder sometimes how much we should go back to that part of be thankful, even in hardship. And before you think, you know, say that, Amy, you sound heartless and terrible, we need to remember who's telling us those words. I mean, Paul was reporting in Philippians when he was telling us how to be have joy in our trouble and persevere all of those really inspiring words that he was saying. Yeah, he was in prison. So it's not like you can blame Paul for saying, well, that's easy for you to say because your life is so great. See, for me, I feel like I can sound almost a little trite because I feel really blessed. I feel really blessed. While yes, there were challenges in this last year, I also feel like there was so much growth and there was so much spiritually that just seemed amazing to me. I've seen people just grab on to their relationship with the Lord in the last year like never before. I've heard some where they thought, man, this time of isolation really hindered their walk. And even in that, while that's not good, but the acknowledgement of is amazing. Because once you acknowledge that, oh, yep, this being an isolation stuff has not benefited my walk from the Lord, and you make a change, oh, the relationships, the fellowship, all of that is that much sweeter because you've come to that realization. Something to be thankful for. But probably the biggest one, guys, that we can be thankful for is if you've confessed Jesus, you are not going to hell. This is huge. You know, earlier I referenced Romans 8, 28, and that's that cool verse that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's a beautiful verse. But I said, you know, we need to be careful to not pluck a passage, just pluck it out and out of context and just claim it as a promise on our life. It's really important to know the context. In Romans 9, Paul is talking about our future hope in heaven. He's not talking about right now, really. So if you try to take Romans 8.28 and say, all things work together for the good of those who love him and go, you know what, I'm going to make this decision and everything's going to work out just great. That might not be true. Because that's actually not what that verse is saying. Paul is talking about our eternal destination and our future hope. If you back it up and you read in Romans 9, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's saying that, yep, right now there's a lot of really rough stuff, but the future thing is good because we're not condemned to hell. We have a future hope and glory in heaven if we believe in Jesus. This day, this, you know, maybe this seemingly impossible decision that you might be weighing out right now, or maybe even lockdowns, as bad as those seem. I think Paul would say, as he did in 2 Corinthians 4.17, these are a light momentary affliction, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I like keeping that perspective, I guess, in mind, even when we think about some of the worst hardships that we've gone through. And maybe 2020 was that year for you and you found it really hard to be thankful for anything. But keeping in mind that as hard as this day is, and let's be real, guys, it's not like days are just going to get easier. I don't believe they will. These days will be hard. But I love Paul's encouragement. These are a light momentary affliction for what's coming. The weight of glory will just be beyond all imagining. It's funny. I wonder if as we move along our walk with Jesus and as we continue down our road towards sanctification, sometimes I wonder, you know, well, all this discerning, will it get easier? 
Well, this discerning this decision over this one, discerning God's will, will it get easier? Or will I continue to just keep having angst over every little thing sometimes? I was thinking about if any of you guys have ever taught one of your kids to drive. Wow. To be fair, my husband gets like 99% of the credit for this. I didn't do much of it. But I did spend a lot of time after that initial, you know, the initial like them getting in the car and figuring out where the blinker is for the first time. Because, you know, when you don't drive, it's really easy to sit in the passenger side and, and you watch the driver and they just pop on in and turn the key and they go. Well, when you get your permit when you're 15 years old and you get behind the wheel for the first time, it's like you all of a sudden go, I have no idea what to do. I, I don't know to do, how to do anything. And you start learning like little things at a time. You're trying to tell them where to put their hands on the wheel. You're teaching them to put the blinker on, when to put their headlights on, teaching them things like where the windshield wipers are and all these things, that things that you just don't think about. And the decisions, all of the things that are there seem just a whole lot when you've never done it before. Well, then you get the hang of some of those things and then you take them out on the road for the first time. That's a truly terrifying moment because then not only are you they're trying to figure out and remember all the things that you've taught them about just operating the car and that, yep, the brake is actually to the left of the gas pedal. They've got to watch other cars and they've got to know when to change lanes and they have to know what the traffic signals mean at different times and when it's okay and how much to speed up and a thousand decisions seem to come at you all at once. Now, fast forward hopefully not too many months for the moms and dads out there that are freaking out teaching their children to drive. And then they pop in the car and you don't have to go over, here's where the blinker is. You don't have to go over, the gas pedal is on the right. They've got that. They don't have all those little tiny, tiny decisions anymore. They just kind of get in and they can just drive. I sort of wonder, this is a very poor analogy of Sometimes this process of going through of thinking about what is the Lord's will. Sometimes we get in those situations and we are second guessing every little thing. We're trying to figure out our turn signal. We're trying to figure out where the windshield wipers are. But then once we have been doing this a little bit, and by this, I'm meaning once we've been in the word a whole lot, I think things get a little more comfortable and a little easier to discern. There'll be things that as you're further along in your sanctification and you're progressing in your walk spiritually, there'll be things that you will recognize that are morally in objection to God's word that maybe early in your walk you would have struggled with and gone, oh, maybe that's okay to do. But once you have been in the word more and you've had some more practice and you've been exercising those muscles of discernment and understanding, asking the Lord for wisdom, some of those are going to come a little bit more naturally. I think the more we are practiced in sitting with Jesus, being in his word, surrendering to his word with humility, boy, I think that's a key. Because sometimes the word, when you're in it and you're praying through a decision, it might tell you to do something you don't want to do. But that's where being in humility and surrendering yourself to the authority of God's word is so important. Recognizing that piece about why we started with being in the fear of the Lord, truly seeking to love God and love his people. You have to start with those places. And hopefully once we've done that, it'll we'll start to feel a little less like 15 year olds with permits in our car and, and maybe a little bit more like a pro behind the wheel. I hope this has been encouraging to you guys I think that the Lord is so kind to us. He really is. 
And he tells us in James, he tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask. He just says, ask. He doesn't give you a big long list of things you have to do. He just says to ask. And it says he will give generously. I love that. And I also love the comfort and just the knowledge that we know that he is never going to leave us in a situation. He is always with us. He never forsakes us. And the longer you've sat in that car and you've gotten familiar with driving, the more you, you're probably nodding your head going, yeah, yeah, he has been. He has been there. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, really seek the word, but seek it with humility and just really ask the Lord for what he has for you. And the biggest thing at the end of that is obey. Man, whatever it is that he's asking, just do it. It might not financially make sense. (laughs) It might seem impossible. Do it. Obedience is amazing. And the Lord is so gracious to bless through obedience. So I hope this encourages you guys. Don't forget if you want to know when a new episode comes out, don't forget to go over there and subscribe on either Apple or Spotify, wherever you guys listen to this. And also, guys, I love to hear from the devoted listeners. You guys are amazing. Whether you actually send me an email or whether you comment on Instagram or come up to me at church, I love it. You guys are amazing. It just makes me smile every time. So I love hearing from you guys. I always put all the ways that you can reach out to us in the comment section in the notes and don't forget i always put the scriptures it's always so good go back check out these scriptures mark them in your bible and really meditate on them have a great week guys and i will talk to you next week thank you for tuning in to the devoted podcast we are a ministry of av creek christian fellowship in westland oregon for more resources or if you need prayer or encouragement send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com